And now for something completely different. A radio show about books. Didn't think it through at all. Inconceivable! <laughs> yes, the show's serious. That's totally a thing. Thank you. Tarzan of the Apes. Brought to you from out the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' immortal book. Oh, wow. In the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people very angry and been widely regarded as a bad move. And now for your host, Daniel Thompson, a completely underqualified buffoon who has no idea why he's here in the first place. And all were amazed and said, this guy is really good. Do you do children's parties? You know, here on the Very Serious Writing Show, we ask the deep questions. The questions that no one else thinks to ask. Like, do fish drink water? Do they? Do, 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 do fish drink? Do they have to drink? Or are they perfectly hydrated all the time? And if they do drink water, I mean, they would have to get rid of that water, right? And there's lots of fish in the ocean, and no one would know. Basically, what I'm asking is, what percentage of the ocean is fish pee? I'm really curious about this now, and a little distrusting of the ocean. I mean, think about that one next time you're at Florida, just looking out over the peaceful ocean waves slowly crashing in on the bleached sand. How much of that's actually fish pee? But that's not the questions we're asking today. Today we are asking more serious questions. We're talking to Morgan L. Bussey today. She is a fabulous author of the Enclave Persuasion, and she's going to be graciously talking to us today about all the doings. That was a good preview. All the doings? So specific. Remember, everybody, I'm a professional. You're here because we want the best, and you're it. Nope, couldn't keep a straight face. I am no man. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I have with me in studio today Morgan L. Bussey. She's the author. (laughs) I can't word today, Morgan. Look at that. That was (laughs) terrible. She's the author of Daughter of Light, the follower of the Word Trilogy. Is it a trilogy or is it an ongoing series? It's a trilogy. Yep, that one's done. Okay, well, very good. So there's there's three books in that, obviously. First one's up free on Kindle right now. You ought to go pick that up. Morgan, thanks for being in the studio today. Thanks for having me. And especially thank you for waiting for me as I ran across my college campus in the rain to go get the interview equipment. I feel so terrible about that. Uh, it's fine. I feel very bad. Well, hey, you're, you're in with Enclave. You're, you're part of the Enclave authorship which is a cool bunch of people. You're in with a lot of great people. Yes. So how, how did you get how did you get there? What happened? Um, how did you get involved with Enclave? Well, I'm actually one of the original Marcher Lords way back. Um, oh, yeah. That way back. But yeah, I was originally with Marcher Lord Press. Mm-hmm. And I was part of the, the sale that happened to, with Steve Lobby and, and then the transformation to Enclave. So. Yeah. so you want to know how I made it all the way into... Well, yeah. How, how did you get into the publishing industry? That is a long story, but I'll shorten it. Okay. Um, 
like I was saying before, I've been writing for over 11 years now. I have four children, and so it was more of whenever they were napping or something. And I'll be honest, I didn't know what I was getting into. <laughs> I just thought people sat down and started writing on a computer six months later. They had a book, found a publisher, and that's how it happened. Oh, that's totally how it works. <laughs> yeah. Um, it wasn't until a couple of years into my writing that I realized they're writing conferences. And at one of those, I met Randy Ingermanson. Mm. And he became one of my first writing mentors. He's a great guy, um, just full of wisdom, just learned so much from him. And so then I realized there was a lot of things to learn, such as point of view and character development and settings. And yeah, so I ended up probably rewriting my book about four or five times before I was finally ready to let a publisher take a look at it. Yeah. And um, that person was Jeff Gerke at a Mount Hermon conference. I think it was back in 2000. 10 okay at him and uh pitched my book to him really nervous he's such a nice guy though he he oh jeff is nice (laughs) yeah there's no two ways about that and then um he had such a huge slush pile that i actually didn't even hear back from him for a year and a half (laughs) (laughs) and then um by then i wasn't even writing anymore my husband had lost his job so i went back to the workforce i was working you know full-time and had children and put my writing away and then all of a sudden I get this email from Jeff saying I love your book I want it you know here's the contract <laughs> and I'm like okay God what am I gonna do I I decided not to write anymore so um but my husband found a job I was able to start staying home again and um, become a full-time writer okay so yeah Daughter of Light came out in 2012 and then there's two other books in the series and now I have a new one that's coming out this spring so okay yeah well, hey, this so you got one coming up. This what is that's not part of the trilogy. Is it connected to the no. world in any way? No, this is a whole new series. It's a steampunk series. Oh, I love steampunk. Yes. What's it's, it like moving from working on a trilogy for several years to splitting with that and just starting on, uh, on New World? It's it's nice actually. <laughs> oh yeah. I think I was just kind of tired of that world. I love the characters and stuff, but when you've been with people for that long a time. It was nice to meet some new characters. It was actually nice to be able to Google things and see what they oh, look yeah. function. I can see why people can write books in a couple months when they can just not have to make everything up. <laughs> yeah. So are you, are you incorporating, since you can look stuff now, I assume you're incorporating some real world stuff into your steampunk? Yes. Even though it takes place in a different world and not London like everyone else does. Thank you. <laughs> it's still Victorian, but it's in a completely different world. Mm. And um, But one thing I discovered is how many things were invented during that time period. We've only enhanced everything that we use nowadays. Everything seems to have been invented in that time, and it was fun to explore that. I, I'm, a, I'm a huge science geek, so it's fun to now be in steampunk and and use a lot of my science background for that. So, So science has been kind of a hobby for you, or...? Oh, I was a huge science nerd in high school and college, and that's what I was going to originally go into until um, I got married and decided to work my husband through seminary instead, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was on the science competition team and had the periodic table memorized. I was, yeah, a big geek. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's riding with four kids like? I mean, my mom, I'm I'm the first of four kids. Okay. So I understand that kind of household, sort of. Because my, my folks had two more, but like they did it 12 years after me. Oh, so, wow. yeah. so there's a huge gap there. How do you find time to write? Um, well, when I was originally writing, 
um, it was only when they were like taking a nap and as long as I didn't need a nap or um, sometimes my husband had meetings that night and so I'd write after the kids went to bed. Um, but it, I, I wasn't able to get real serious until the kids were all finally in school. Mm. And um, so that's when I write. And I write every single day because I don't have the luxury of waiting for the muse to show up. I have to, that's my time before the kids get home. You better quick write. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a built-in daily deadline. Yes. And I have, there are four kids and they're very energetic, loud, you mm-hmm. know, curious, troublemakers. So, yeah. <laughs> I think most kids are that way. If your kid's quiet, then you know you, you want, might want to check that out. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. So, okay, so you're breaking into the steampunk genre. Is that going to be a trilogy? Is it going to be a standalone? That's actually going to be a duology. Nice. Yep. So, have you mapped out both of them, or have you just mapped out one? You know, it's got to continue. How are you looking at it? You know, I am a plotter, and so a lot of times when I sit down, I already. Um, I keep files on all my ideas. And so as soon as I get real serious about writing the book, I sit down for a couple of days and I plot out the entire series. Oh, okay. You know, books is going to be, I know pretty much what everything's about. And so I already knew when I, when I um, pitched this idea to Steve lobby, I knew what the story was going to be. And I knew it was two books and I knew what everything was. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but you do that in over the course of just a couple of days. Yeah. But I'm usually, um, coming up with my ideas over a couple years. Like right now, even though I still have the second book to write for my steampunk, I am already looking ahead going, what story am I going to write next? And already creating a file with all of the um, plot ideas, character ideas, all of that. So usually by the time I sit down, I have pretty much everything. It's more of putting it in order. I do a storyboard, so I put it out on a cork board and I put every idea I had out and just put it in order of the chapters I'll write it in. So, okay, yeah, Jill Williamson's big on that idea. I've heard, yeah, I've heard her. She did a presentation on that at a writer conference I was at. So, yeah, that seems to be a good way to do it. it. Doesn't work for me, but for some people, it really does help. Okay, so are you bigger on story world or characters? Which which do you really focus in on more? Are you both? I'm probably I'm more probably leaning a little more towards characters, although because I'm a plotter, plot matters a whole lot to me as well. Mm-hmm. But, um, Jeff once said that you know what you are. What is the first thing that makes sure that you know that you think of when you think of the story? Do you think of the plot? Do you think of the world? Do you think of the character? It's always a character for me. All of a sudden, I see this character in some situation, and all of a sudden, I go, "Okay, who are they? How did they get in this situation? How are they going to get out?" and boom, my story starts to unfold. Okay. So you spent a lot of time, I mean, you, you talked about how Randy Ing- Ingramson got you on this idea of the character development, that there's so much more to the writing side of things. Mm-hmm. What, what is your character development process like? Do you corkboard that too, or is that something different? Uh, like I said, as soon as I have, like, um, as soon as I have an idea, I start a file on my folder and I start writing I start figuring out who are they, what is their background, what happened to them, what's their family life like, what what could have possibly got them into the situation I just saw them in. And then um, I'm a huge Pinterest person. I love Pinterest. Okay. And I make a file on Pinterest and I keep it secret until I know for sure I'm going to write the book. And I start finding pictures and I love it when I find the actual character. Mm-hmm. Pinterest, I'm like, oh, there they are. So nice to meet you. And then if they actually come, they have a name, I'm like, wow, this is getting serious. They have a name now. Mm-hmm. 
And, and so I, I don't really have an actual method. I don't interview my characters or anything. It's more, we just start to dialogue in my head, like while I'm folding laundry and driving the kids to school. And I start to get to know this person. And then I, um, set, I write my, uh, notes in my phone that I send to myself to put in my file. And like I said, I'm usually doing this for about two years. So by the time I actually sit down and write the book, I've had two years of actually talking and interacting with these characters and Nice. Them pretty well. <laughs> For VSWS News, I'm Daniel Thompson. Valentine's Day is upon us, and the Waffle House is ready. The restaurant chain will be offering candlelit dinners on the holiday this year to provide a more romantic atmosphere for their customers. Adoring couples will stare into each other's delirious eyes while consuming their breakfast foods, and semi-truck drivers will glance at each other nervously. A Brazil man was filmed this month sticking four live snakes in his mouth, allegedly as a protest of deforestation. The symbolic depth of his action is so great that authorities are reportedly still unsure how the action relates to the protest in general. The snakes in question have not yet pressed charges. A public men's restroom in India is being denoted as a men's restroom by a large color sign of Nick Offerman's face, a.k.a. Ron Swanson from the network television show Parks and Recreation. Offerman reacted to this revelation with a Twitter post reading hashtag namaste. I, for one, am now dreadfully confused about my feelings regarding Ron Swanson. Customs officers in a Florida airport allegedly detained a man who was attempting to smuggle nine birds in his pants and inside a fanny pack. His intentions and motivations regarding these birds and their intended destination and purpose is as of yet unknown. Customs officers across the U.S. are now considering profiling air travelers on the grounds of fanny packs. A high-speed chase in New Zealand was stopped by a herd of sheep who were crossing the street at the time. This is the single most New Zealand thing I can possibly think of. A Burger King employee, upon being relieved of his employment at an unspecified Burger King location, allegedly stole all the chicken nuggets from the store on his last day of work. The former employee posted a picture of several massive bags filled with a light tan meat-like substance that was later field-tested positive for generic poultry. Twitter users, being the picture of law-abiding citizens that they are, have reportedly praised the individual, granting him the title of Chicken King. Finally, Wisconsin police have reported the theft of a semi-truck filled with $70,000 worth of cheese. This is at least the third, possibly the fourth, cheese-related story I've reported on since the conception of the Very Serious Riding Show. I implore whoever is nicking these people's poor cheese to cease in their actions, or I will allegedly come over there myself and slap you upside the head with a freaking box of wheat thins. For VSWS News, I'm Daniel Thompson. Now, you, you are very much so a Christian writer. I mean, publishing with Enclave, you kind of have to be. How do you weave your themes into your stories? Do they grow organically from the plot line? Do you come up with a theme you want to attach? How does that work? Always for organically. Um, a lot of times, it'll hit me probably about halfway to almost the end of the book, and I'll realize what the book is about. And sometimes it'll even surprise me. I thought it was going to be one thing, and it turns out to be another but I, um, I actually teach a class on this. I teach how to share the gospel and Christian worldview through fiction without preaching. And I was able to, um, I preached, preached that. <laughs> I taught that at <laughs> Realmakers this past year. Oh, did and, you? Yeah, it was well received. A lot of people had a lot of good things to say about it. So I'm hoping to teach this class at a couple other conferences. But that's a passion of mine, how to bring your worldview in and share about God without turning people off. Mm -hmm. 
So um, I'm definitely for organically bringing in your worldview, letting it slip in quietly and just through the story. So how did that happen in your trilogy? Now, is your, is your trilogy like, is it allegorical because it's fantasy or is it something different? No, I, I, w- I wouldn't say it's allegorical because allegorical a lot of times seems to have a, it's a correlation between the actual, you know, either the actual gospel or or, wor- or our world or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, my book, the character, the main character is about a woman who when she touches someone can see inside their, her, the person's soul. Oh, wow. And so, um, that was the initial idea, and then it grew from that ultimately to be, why would God give someone the ability to see what he sees in people, and um, what would it be like? You know, I don't, in my opinion, I would not want to see that kind of stuff, <laughs> and um, why would she have it? How would she use it? Who is she? And so that's how it kind of grew. So it's really just a story, ultimately, I think, of what it means to follow God, you know, yeah. When he gives you a very hard ability or a very hard calling. So this realm makers class that you, you taught, what were some of the main points of how how do you how do you go about doing that in a you told me how you've done it in your in your story. How what were some of your general tips for doing that? Um probably some of my my tips are one, um, especially if you're going to be sharing the gospel through your story. I encourage people to read biographies or just talk to people and find out how they came to know Christ. Because I think one thing that turns a lot of people off in stories is every salvation story sounds the same. Yes. Seriously. And I'm like, but if you talk to people, no one's story is the same. So you need to read biographies, read how past Christians came to know Christ. What was their life like before? What was that moment? What triggered that moment? What was afterward? And then um, I usually share I share um, my testimony. I came from a very churched family, but I want to say we were Christian. We just went to church, and I certainly wasn't a Christian. Um, and it took God doing some things in my life to bring me to Christ. I share my husband's story. He didn't even know anything about God. Jesus Christ was a cuss word his dad would use when it was cut off in traffic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we have very vastly different testimonies. Oh, yeah. He came to know Christ. And so I like to share how there's different stories and, and you need to, uh, what's your character's story? Don't make it sound like everybody else's. What is their story? Um, I also share use organic, you know, like don't use Christian terms when you're, Unless your book is about pastors or something. I don't know. Um, use the terms that, that they would use. How do they view their life? How do they start to view God? Um, and a lot of times, when, especially if you've never been a Christian or have never even heard of God, um, the human mind wants to um, connect something we don't know with something we do know. So one example I use in my series, there's also an assassin who is as heathen and pagan as they get. And, but when, when God starts to invade his life, he sees God through what he understands of himself. Like when he starts to realize there's something wrong with him, he sees himself covered in blood that he can't wash away. That kind of shows the murders he's committed. Mm -hmm. That's how he views himself. He sees himself as someone who, um, cannot be redeemed, you know, but he would never use that word redeemed. Yeah, no. You know, he sees that he sees himself and he sees God the way he understands his world. So 
it's hard to, it's better to teach the class than try to explain <laughs> <laughs> well sorry for throwing you on the spot there i was just i was just it's a great class in yeah. my opinion and so yeah i wish i'd been able to make it to realm makers this year i learned about it far too late to sign up oh if you can make it it's a wonderful conference I've talked well, to a lot of people who've gone there. It's just like, oh, gosh, I really, really wish I could have done that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, let's see. I had a question. Oh, gosh. It was on the tip of my tongue. Ooh. Oh, yes. You've, you've won several award, awards. You were finalists in several competitions. Yes. You were in the Christie and the Grace and the Carol Awards. How, how has being in the award show kind of affected your, your writing and the marketing side of things more? That came as a complete surprise. You know, you... When you enter the writing world and you you hear about awards like that and you see people and you just see them way ahead of you mm-hmm. and then you get that email or you get that phone call and you're like no way you, you, <laughs> you must have the wrong person do you know who I am I'm this at the at the time I was living in Kansas and I'm like I'm the I'm the I'm this woman that's living in Kansas I'm a nobody <laughs> mm-hmm. um, for one it's nice because. Um, at the time, March Alert was still pretty small, and um, I would have people say their libraries won't carry my books because they just they didn't think it was a legitimate book. I don't know. So one nice thing about finaling in these categories and these awards is that it opened up opportunities for me to look like a legitimate author. It sounds okay. like because I think you know anyone who has the guts to go put their book out there is. A legitimate author but anyway <laughs> mm-hmm. um but it to libraries and stuff um and to review sites um i had one review site that i kept asking them would they please consider reviewing my book never would never would never would after i finaled in the christie's they contacted me and said we want to review your book and you're like really <laughs> <laughs> you know so the nice thing was is it opened up doors it gave me legitimacy um, not, not, I don't, I'm not sure if it really affects the readers. I think readers just want to read a really good book. Yeah, I would think uh, so. You know, some of them, they're like, oh, well, you know, it's kind of been, they're like, oh, she finaled an award. That means maybe at least it's somewhat decent. Yeah, if someone sees that you've got an award, I mean, me as a reader, if I see an award, I might think, oh, okay. It generally makes me think that it's an older book, though. Like it's a book that was received an award like later on in its lifespan. But mm-hmm. but it, do, it does lend some sense of credibility to it, even mm-hmm. though I, I totally agree with you. You're an author if you put out a book. It's not mm-hmm. about it's not about an award, an yeah. award show. But I can understand when libraries and review sites receive many many submissions and they have to choose. Sometimes that's a criteria they use. Now I was I mentioned marketing a, a few minutes ago. Do you how do you go about marketing your book and your series? You know. I, now that I have a couple books out and an established readership, marketing is so much easier. Yeah. Simply because I already have people who are fans who um, follow everything that I do on Facebook and stuff. And they're my people who get the word out. Mm-hmm. You know, word of mouth is probably the best. That is the number one thing if you can get that going. Um, but before that, um, I had to have people actually discover I have a book that is out there to be read. I think that's the hardest part is figuring out wh- how to get people to realize you have a book out there, then to read it, then to review it, then to tell their friends. 
you know, um, Mm -hmm. some of the ways I I do that is when I have a book releasing, I usually spend two to three months just doing a ton of interviews, doing a lot of giveaways. I work a lot with Goodreads. I have a blog where I um, use that to promote my book, Facebook. um, And then, of course, Enclave does some promotion for me and stuff like that, too. Um, Book review sites, if I can get someone to review my book. And then um, some of those big email book distributor, um, like BookBub is a really good place to get people to realize your books there, although they're becoming harder to um, get your book placement with. I'm mm-hmm. using something called Midlist this month, which I'm excited to try out and see how that works. So basically, I just have a big email, like thousands of emails where they send out saying, hey, this book's for sale. Check it out. Okay. That sounds like it'd be a pretty good system. Yes, I probably have seen the best um, return for my investment on those hmm. sites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's really hard as a as a person starting out. It seems to build that platform. There's tons of books on platform building, but it's just like, okay, how do you get in there and do it? Yeah, I think either you get lucky or um, you have to just keep writing books, really good books that people actually want to talk about afterwards. And then um, slowly people start to realize you're around and you have decent books that really resonate with them. You're listening to The Very Serious Writing Show. And my people, that is the day. Morgan L. Bussey will be returning this Thursday, Fall's Day, Thursday, to talk about her steampunk novel, Tainted, which is not currently available yet, but it's coming up pretty quick. Her other book, Daughter of Light, is available on Amazon for free as a Kindle. Oh, I'm so sorry, Mark McGuire, that you cannot access the Kindle because you have a nook. But frankly, it's your own fault. You shouldn't have gotten a nook. (laughs) Thanks so much to Morgan for being on the show. And I want to also thank our sponsor for the day, Americano Coffee, which is where I chugged immediately before running across campus through the rain to my dorm room, which I then realized I had locked myself out of. Then I had to get an RA to unlock it for me, run back across the rain, across campus through the rain, so that I could do this interview. Yeah. So Americano Coffee, thanks for that. You're a pal. Also, thanks to Jake's Buller for convincing me to drink that stuff. Oh my gosh, how do you drink that? It is so much. It is so much caffeine. Oh, by the way, in terms of the fish question I was asking earlier, I googled it, and apparently fish excrete ammonia through their gills. So, you can go and look at that Florida sunset with complete peace inside of your heart. Isn't that good to know? You all enjoy your Monday, as always, and I will talk to you all again this Thursday. Goodbye, so long, farewell. I'll feed a say, adieu, whatever the thing is. I don't know, it's been a while since I watched Sound of Music. Bye!